Well, Thanksgiving, of course, is the season, the weekend, the day where we, we kind of try to focus on what matters most, right? Remember what matters the most. Well, let's throw it open as we start here this morning. As you come to this Thanksgiving weekend, what are some of the things you're thankful for? Family? Go ahead and shout it out. Weather. Weather. Free country. Free country. Yeah, what? Health. Health. Gardens. Gardens. Knowing Jesus. Thanks, Ruth. Safe community. Safe community. That's right. The harvest. <laughs> From a newlywed. A really awesome <laughs> husband. If you're passing through Port Hill, you let him know that. Yeah. Children. Friends, excellent. Creation. The things that matter most, right? That's what we're thankful for. It kind of reminds you to kind of cut away the stuff and really, what matters most? Well, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for all the things that are mentioned here, of course. Thankful for those things. Um, But today, in particular, I'm thankful for what God is doing in our congregation. I'm thankful for what God is doing in your lives. I am very thankful for that. The ways that I see you responding to the call of Jesus, wherever you're at in that journey. Some of you are, are, are further along in this Jesus journey and, and you've been following Jesus for a while and you're making these pretty radical, courageous steps to engage your neighbor, to start talking about Jesus, or to, to just make sacrifices. Some of you are early on in that journey. You, you've been around the church for a while, and you haven't decided yet you want to follow Jesus, but you're making these steps. You've maybe decided to come to Alpha, or you, you're, you're starting to read the Bible, or you're starting to have conversations. You're making steps that are courageous steps, and I see it happening. I'm really thankful for it. I see how husbands in our community are really beginning to lay down their lives for their wives, that aren't pulling this weird dominance thing, but rather seeing how they can serve their wives. I'm seeing it happen. I'm seeing how wives are learning how to really love their husbands. I'm seeing how our kids, both in our families, here in our community, how our kids are beginning to see how precious they are, how loved they are by God, by us, and how that begins to make a difference in how they think about themselves, how they make decisions with their friends. I'm seeing many of you and hearing the stories of many of you who are reaching out with courage and with grace to people in your lives. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's another parent or family at school. Maybe it's a work colleague. Ways that we, ways that you are serving, are letting Jesus make changes in your hearts and your minds. You know, some of these things that you believe for a long time, And suddenly, as you hear Jesus' words, as you begin to let Jesus lead in your life, you begin to realize, well, I've held this for a long time, but it's not true. Or I've I've believed this for a long time, and it's actually harming me. And you're beginning to let go of some of these things that have been destructive in your life. This is awesome stuff. I'm very thankful for it. Seeing how some of you are beginning to let God break the chains of addiction in your life. Seeing men come to receive forgiveness and women receiving forgiveness for maybe some past things that they've done, they've been carrying around with them for a long time, and they finally realize God has forgiven 
me for this and I can also be forgiven. I can forgive myself for this. You know? Seeing people begin to receive healing for wounds that maybe they've been carrying something that happened as a child, something that happened in your teenage years, something that happened in a previous marriage, whatever it is, but to see the healing begin to happen, I am very thankful for that. I'm thankful for ways that we as a church are changing, for what God is doing here in us and in our families and in our lives. I'm very thankful. Thankful for you. And I think it's happening because as we put ourselves in front of Jesus, as we put ourselves in front of the leadership of Jesus, as we actually ask those hard questions of, Jesus, what would you say to me in this situation? Not what do my friends say or what have I always been told, but Jesus, what are you saying about my marriage? Or what are you saying about my family? What are you saying about my job? What are you saying about the habits of my mind and heart? That as we come under the leadership of Jesus... We are learning as a community, we're learning as families, we're learning as men and women and boys and girls about what really matters in life. And as a result, we're also learning what really doesn't matter at all. Because those things so often get confused. As we listen to Jesus, our priorities are being shaped by Him. As we obey the teaching of Jesus, our hearts are being reorganized. This is happening. It's happening in us. I see it. And because of this work that Jesus is doing us, what matters, what really and truly matters in our lives, in our daily lives, and you know, the things that we think about, the things that we talk about, are shifting away from the petty, uh, the short-term, the, the self-centered. And, and they're beginning to have to do with things that are grand, if I can put it that way. Things that are significant. Things that are long-term and God-centered, life-centered. Realities where God is central, where people are being loved and being transformed, where I think this stretched canvas, if you want to put it this way, to use the metaphor of a painting, this stretched canvas of eternity is taking on the unique colors of our own gifts and our own unique um, stories and ways that we're loving people, the ways that we're serving, seeing God's kingdom come to life among us. This is what I'm really thankful for. And today, we're going to continue in the story of Mark. And I've got to be honest with you. You've probably never, ever, ever heard a Thanksgiving weekend sermon on this passage of Scripture. And there's probably a really good reason for that. So there's half my brain that says, Tom, you idiot. Why didn't you take a break from Mark this weekend? And then there's the other half of my brain that says, no. I think somehow in this, God has a message for us today. So bear with me as we're walking through this. It's a collection of really odd sayings of Jesus. And when you first read them, they don't even seem to hang together very well, frankly. You kind of go, whoa, this is kind of disconnected and kind of strange. <laughs> and they don't seem like Thanksgiving passages to me. Am I, am I on the wrong part of the page here? Yeah. Well, as I reflected on them, I realized that these passages we're going to look at today, and at the end of Mark chapter 9, they're really all about knowing what matters most. That's what they're all about. And they all come, I think they can kind of be gathered under the simple heading that when you know what matters, nothing else does. When you really know what matters, nothing else does. When you really know that it's love that matters, you can let go of your rights. 
in a relationship in particular. When you really know how important people are, you don't let profits or pressures undermine or destroy relationships. You just don't. You do not equate money and dollar signs with, with, with you know, or, or decide against relationships and the things that build up your family, build up your marriage and, and things that matter. You, you, just, you just don't decide, nah, it's too expensive. I'll go for money instead. You know that that doesn't matter. When you really get God's heart for the broken and for the lost, then nothing gets in the way of seeing the broken healed and seeing the lost found. When you understand that it's God's work in the lives of people that matters more than anything else in the world, then you rearrange your life. You rearrange your schedule. You decide different things as a family. You, 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 you do things differently with your finances. Suddenly, what's important changes. Your personal preferences shift. Your work schedule shift. Even your free time. Everything and anything. So that this work of God in people's lives actually continues unhindered. When you know what matters, nothing else does. But let's be honest, it's, it's hard to keep that focus, isn't it? Day in, day out. It's, it's hard to remember what really matters. We so easily get distracted and confused. We're so selfish. I'm so selfish. That it's so easy as the week, just one week goes along to start thinking really about myself. Because let's be honest, I'm the one who really matters here, right? Well, that's what we tend to think. Or maybe we wouldn't say it out loud, but that's how we start living, Right? So this little collection of sayings that's been gathered by Mark in these last few verses of Mark 9, Jesus helps us see what matters most and he does it in some really challenging ways. So here on this Thanksgiving Sunday, I hope you're ready for this. Let's, 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 let's walk through this for just a few moments. So John says to Jesus, he's one of the disciples, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Oh man, I love the honesty of these guys. What's going on here? There's jealousy, there's, there's pride, there's maybe the proprietary thing going on. Come on, this is a Jesus thing. We're the ones, we've got exclusive rights to use the name of Jesus. No, there's kind of an irony here because those of you who've been tracking with Mark so far is just like a story ago they had failed to be able to drive out a demon, right? So I think maybe there's a little bit of hurt here because it's like, man, how does that guy do that? But he's not one of us. And so they're so ticked off that this guy's like successful and, and actually bringing God's kingdom into somebody's life that they, all they can think to do is get in the way and try to stop it because, darn it, they're not part of us. not, not part of our crew. And so they try to get in the way. What does Jesus say? Don't stop him. Don't stop him, Jesus says. No one who performs a miracle in my name is soon going to be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who's not against us is for us. Do you see what's going on here? God is coming and freeing people's lives. And when that's happening, that's God at work. Come on. And he says, if anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, the person will surely be rewarded. It's a funny little story, but what does it tell us? God is in the business of healing and restoring lives. That's what really counts. That's what really matters. It's the main thing that's going on. It's why we exist as a church. It's why we follow Jesus. It's what Jesus has given us gifts for. It's what he's called us into this life for, to see more lives transformed by his love and by his grace. But let's be honest, we so often lose sight of that. 
We so often forget that. Maybe because what's happening is somehow not happening in our group. Or maybe because what's happening is happening in some way I don't really like it. I like the way those guys look or speak. I don't like the clothes they wear. I don't, I don't like how they're doing this God thing. And so maybe I want to get in the way of it. Well, maybe we don't literally st- try to stop people, but maybe we just speak ill of it. Jesus challenges the jealousy and the prideful thinking of his disciples. So they had begun to think that this kingdom of God thing was all about them. It was something they had exclusive rights to. Something that they were the ones who were the gatekeepers of what God was doing. And if, if, if you could, didn't do it with us, you couldn't really do it. We learn from this something super important. That when we see God's work happening around us, in other people's lives, maybe through other churches, maybe through other people, it's something that we are called to recognize and celebrate and support. When we know that it's the work of God in people's lives that really matters, that, that, that this is what it's all about, the people being freed and transformed by the love and power of God, that that's what's really happening here, then it changes our perspective on it. It changes our perspective on ourselves. So when we look around us, when we look in our own community and we see what God is doing in people's lives, when we begin to talk with each other and we hear the stories of decisions being made, or when we hear the the good work that God is doing among other churches or other organizations, we're called to celebrate that and to pray for that and to trust that God is at work. And when I feel that twinge of jealousy or anger, or I need to examine my motives and say, Jesus... What's going on here? Why am I feeling prideful? Why am I feeling jealous? Why am I feeling upset? And to be reminded through that that God is at work. Not just in our group. We're thankful for that. But God is at work all around us in ways that we can't imagine. In in, in a variety of expressions. And so we're called to celebrate that and support that. But Jesus doesn't just stay there. He, He moves on from this little vignette and he expands what you and I need to do when we know what matters most, I mean, it gets, frankly, pretty drastic. It's not only don't stop him, but you better be doing whatever it takes to prevent, to, to not prevent, to get out of the way of the work that God is doing. And what follows is probably the most extreme hyperbole that Jesus ever uses in all the Gospels. Are you ready for this? Now, if you're not a Christian today, you're not a Jesus follower, you're going to think this is the dumbest thing you've ever heard. I get it. But hang on, we'll see where it goes, okay? <laughs> well, I have sympathy for you, because if you're reading along and think, I've never even cracked a Bible before, and I, I stumble on this thing, you're never going to read the teaching of Jesus again. You're going to say, people have been saying, Jesus is such a great teacher. Have you read this verse? Well, let's see. Jesus says, But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin... It'd be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. You get that, what he's doing here? It would be better for you to be thrown off a cliff with a big rock around your neck than to cause one of these little ones who trust in me to sin. Whoa, this is heavy stuff, but it gets worse. Okay, here it goes. If your hand causes you to sin, and particularly he's referencing, I believe, this little ones who trust in me falling into sin, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It'd be better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. 
If your eye causes you to sin, this is the most painful one, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Or as Eugene Peterson says, in the, better, better to you know, enter into heaven with half your vision than have 20-20 in hell. Yes. Where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Jesus is using extreme hyperbole to make a very powerful point. When people's lives are at stake, you hear that? When people's lives are at stake, their faith in Jesus, their trust in their Creator, when their lives are at stake, you had better make sure that you aren't getting in the way of what God is doing. Whoa! When lives hang in the balance, you better be making sure that your actions aren't tipping the balance the wrong way. You better make sure you're loading the right direction. You understand? Now, Christians have always understood this to be hyperbole. There really hasn't been very many people through the 2,000 years who have actually cut things off. Okay? It's always been understood that this is excessive, exaggerated Hebrew way of talking designed to get their attention and drive home a point. Now, hands were cut off and eyes were gouged out and feet were removed. These were ancient punishments. Hands cut off for stealing. Uh, Still happens in some cultures today, doesn't it? Feet often a foot cut off of a slave who had run away one too many times or an eye gouged out for someone who was peeking through someone's door. These were ancient punishments, but Jesus has turned it around and said to them, when you know what really matters, you would do that to yourself. You would do something drastic. And Jesus is not expecting Christians to walk around with one eye, one foot, one hand. But what he is expecting is this, that you and I would be so focused and so committed so radically devoted to people's lives and them growing in trust with Jesus. Particularly those around you who are fragile, who are weak, who are broken. That there's just simply nothing we wouldn't do to make sure that people are growing in their trust with Jesus. There's just nothing we wouldn't do. How does that hit home for us? We don't cut off our hands and gouge out our eyes. But are we willing to be drastic? I think that's the question. Are we willing to be drastic for the sake of others? Well, what might that look like for you? I, I don't know. You've got to apply. Like, what do you really care about? What, what if you got rid of it would feel like someone cut your hand off or gouge your eye out? That's how drastic this is. You know, my freedom to drink alcohol. Is it crushing someone who grew up with an alcoholic mother? If that's the case, then I'm never going to drink alcohol with that friend again. And I'll never host a party and invite them because I love that friend and I realize that my actions could actually harm them. Does my obsession with sports detract from my testimony to Jesus? Frankly, all I'm ever talking about is sports. I'm not really talking about Jesus very much. My passion for sports seems awesome, but my passion for Jesus, what? Well, if that's the case, then I'll give up sports. I know some of you right now are going, no way. I never give up sports. I'd give up a foot before I'd give up. You know what I mean? Some of you are thinking that, and see, we're getting closer to some of the things that actually matter. My workaholic lifestyle, is it making my kids resent me and actually begin to rebel against Jesus? Well, then I'm going to make drastic changes in my work life. I'll quit my job if I have to. I'll move to, you know, Timbuktu or Quinnell or something. I'll do whatever it takes. Are my, my jokes, are they meaning to women? Or does my language cause people to feel worse about themselves? Maybe I'm just so, I'm so smart and I'm so witty and I'm so sarcastic that everyone just is a pool of blood on the floor by the time I'm done. My jokes. But if that's the case, then I need to stop 
I need to take a vow of silence for a month. I need to stop speaking and learn new patterns of speech. This is my obsession with video games or, shoot, maybe your smartphone. Cause me to ignore the people around me who really need my loving attention. You throw the phone away. I know there are some of you here going, take a hand. Just don't take my smartphone. <laughs> and please take my left hand because I'm better at texting with my, my right hand, too. Uh, is the way that I talk about the church. The way that I talk about this church. The way that I talk about the church. Under whatever guise I call it. Causing people to distrust the body of Christ. I better change the way I'm talking about church. Because this is where God's working. This is where lives are being changed. Does my disobedience, I thought of other words, but I'm just going to use the word disobedience. Does my disobedience and my refusal to use my spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ prevent others from growing in their trust of Him? And I better take an axe to whatever idol is getting in the way of me actually serving the body of Christ for the sake of others. Now, I could go on, right? But I think you're starting to get the point. Are you? Should I go on? There's any more painful stuff we can... What's some of the painful stuff you think we really don't want to get rid of? I'm going off notes here. Anything else I should have mentioned? Don't, you, know, you don't have to say anything about yourself. Just say it about your neighbor. <laughs> I think you're getting the point, right? Jesus makes no bones about it. Nothing matters more than lives trusting Jesus. Nothing matters more than that. Nothing. Not your work. Not your pride, certainly. Not your money. Not your recreation. Not your pleasure. Nothing matters more than lives trusting Jesus. Just nothing. If you can name it, it doesn't matter. And if Jesus is willing to use the hyperbole of cutting off your hand and gouging at your eye, he is doing something to get our attention. He's trying to get us to see that people's lives matter. That this is serious business we're engaged in. And we've got to make sure that we're acting accordingly, that we're not getting in the way with how, do we, how we speak and how we act and how we think and how we engage. But Jesus is doing more than just focus on others' lives, isn't he? Because right in there, there's a lot of warning given. He's also warning us. He's saying, you know, the way you treat others or fail to treat others could result in judgment in your own lives. Oh, we don't like to talk about judgment. I, I don't like to talk. I try to avoid it as often as I can, Right? We do not like this. But here's the facts. When you read it, it is a very, very strong warning to us that we better take stock of what matters. We better do what counts. We may find ourselves on the wrong end of the stick. Very serious. Jesus will judge us based on how we've loved others. Based on how self-centered we've lived. Based on how willing or unwilling we were to make our lives actually count for what really matters. Now, some of us have been walking around for way too long thinking, but I, I, I believe in Jesus. Like I got my ticket punched a few years ago. I know I did. But your life isn't matching up. Yesterday I made a mistake. I asked somebody if they were a Christian. I shouldn't have done that. I've tried to stop that. I don't ask people if they're Christians anymore because the answer is way too easy, right? you got to ask people, Do you follow Jesus? And that's really the language we need to use, I think. Christian is kind of a blah word now. I mean, I identify with it, obviously. I'm a Christian. But 
But it can mean too many things, and too many people can fill it up with their own definition. Really the question is, do we trust in Jesus, and are we following him? And this is the challenge that Jesus is giving us here. He's saying, man, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you as a church willing to do whatever it takes? Are you as a family, are you as a man or a woman willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to get drastic and get extreme for the sake of lives being transformed? Wow. Well, I think you can see Jesus takes this seriously. He ends on this note of judgment. Uh, With that note of judgment, he kind of shifts to this metaphor of fire and salt. He says, everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Remember what I said? It's a weird collection of sayings. And you kind of go, well, that that went from like hands being cut off to fire to salt. But stay with me here. Jesus has said something like this in other Gospels. Salt was a preserving agent and a flavoring agent. And back in the day, it would often come mixed with other minerals, right? And so what could happen is that if this salt was exposed to rain or to weather, the saltiness could kind of leach away. And what you'd be left with is a residue that might look like salt. But if you were to taste it, it just wouldn't have any salt left in it. And once that saltiness was gone, the remaining residue is just useless. You just chuck it out in the driveway. There's no way to make that salt salty again. The purpose of it, the flavor, the preservative, it's, it's no longer there. Why does Jesus say this? Because unless the disciples, unless you and I, will actually get laser focused on what matters and live our lives into that, we're going to become ineffective. We might even become a hindrance to what God is wanting to do. To this real work that God is doing in people's lives. We'll lose our saltiness. And so Jesus concludes with this. He says, you know, you must have the qualities of salt, this preserving, flavoring, this knowing what matters and living into that among yourselves and live at peace with each other. Bring us full circle to both the internal strife that was happening in the disciples or who's the greatest we looked at last week, but also this sense of looking around and seeing what God is doing through others and feeling negative about that. Be at peace. Be these salty people who are preserving peace and are pursuing what God is doing in people's lives. I think as we follow Jesus, our life together is shaped by the only thing that really matters, and that's lives being transformed by Jesus. People, boys and girls, who, some of whom are in the building right now, coming to understand the goodness and the grace of God. Men and women hearing that there's forgiveness and there's freedom and there's a life that matters. That that's what really counts. Being a salty church means that we pursue the mission of Jesus to heal the broken and restore the lost no matter what it takes. So my question really is, are we going to be that kind of church? Some of you are guests here today and you maybe you don't have a church. Maybe this is a one-off. And I'm glad you're here. And I apologize again for that text. Uh, Some of you are from other places and other churches, and so the question goes out to you as to whether you're going to make your life count in your church context. But I want to ask our church, I want to ask the Erickson Covenant Church, are we going to be a church that knows what really matters? We know what really counts, and we live into that passionately, drastically even. Are you going to be a man who is so radical 
willing to make such sacrificial decisions about your work, about your recreation, about your finances, because you know that the little ones in your family, the people in our church, the people in our valley, the fragile and the weak in particular, they really matter. And I'm going to spend the money, and I'm going to make the time, I'm going to change my schedule, I'm going to do whatever it takes to see life come to people. Are you going to be that kind of a man? Or are you going to be the kind of woman who pursues that thing that matters the most, and you'll forget all the extras, you'll, you'll eliminate the distractions, and you'll really begin to focus on the lives of the people around you with the eyes of God, they really matter? And then I don't want to be distracting to them. And I don't want to lead them off the garden path. Or I don't want to just by my silence or my lack of engagement to be the person who essentially leads them away from Jesus. Am I going to be the kind of woman who cares for people with the love of God? You know, people who've lost a hand and lost an eye, lost a foot, they really stand out. But what Jesus is asking us to do in typical Jesus style, cuts so much more deeply than that. It matters so much more that Jesus is calling us to give up the things we think are necessary so that what is truly necessary can come to the lives of people. What kind of questions or maybe conversations should we have about this? Um, If you're a guest here, you're wondering what I'm doing right now. We like to talk about these things in our services because... Um, you've just heard me monologue for too long. And, and we like to reflect on this. So are there things that come out to you, questions, maybe about the text? can't promise any answers there. But questions about the text, questions about how this challenges you, things you'd like to bring up today. Roger, are you willing to walk around with the microphone? Um, and that's just so we can hear, because not all of us have the same hearing ability. And so we want to be able to hear each other. So Roger has a microphone. So if you have something you'd like to say, comment on, ask a question, raise your hand high. Roger needs to see your hand. And uh, we'll uh, have a little moment together as we discuss what this means for us to be radically committed to the work of God in people's lives. Anyone? Comments or thoughts? Don't be shy. You're all wondering why I picked that passage, aren't you? This is a first. You guys usually talk so much. We have to shut it down because it pushes past noon. No, that's okay. That's all right. I'm very comfortable with this. But if you have something you want to say, you've got to say it now. How many of you are thinking about Thanksgiving dinner right now? Just teasing. All right. That's good. That's good. We'll, we'll have an opportunity in the future to do that. If you do have more questions, though, I encourage you to ask your friends and see what they think. <laughs> you may be wondering, again, how this is connected to Thanksgiving. Like, what are we supposed to do with this? I walked away. You're sitting around your Thanksgiving meal today, and they say, hey. Not that anyone ever says, hey, what did the pastor preach about? <laughs> but theoretically, if someone were to say that, you'd say, well, uh, give me that knife, and I'll show you. <laughs> and, you'll, and, and, uh, and you'll think, I'm never going to that church. It's one way. So these are very strong words from Jesus. They're very challenging words. They're even offensive words. I get that. But I'm convinced, and here's the tie for me. I'm convinced that as I'm hearing your stories, as I'm hearing decisions that you're making, as we as a community are making decisions, kind of corporately as a church, but as the body of Christ, families and 
friends and individuals, as you're getting together and you're digging into Scripture together and you're praying together, I believe that we're witnessing God's work among us and we are beginning to understand what matters most. We're beginning to witness in our own community lives that are being changed by the grace of God. And we, as the Erickson Covenant Church, we're growing in our commitment to make that happen. Where we're saying, you know what? I mean, i got to tell you, this Alpha thing that's happening this fall is incredible. Close to 80 people are jamming in the doors every Tuesday here. And many of them are not connected to church. Are new to the whole Jesus thing. That's incredible stuff, folks. Lives are being changed as we speak. The Holy Spirit is at work. And that's just on Tuesdays. Tuesdays! Nothing ever happens on Tuesdays. Right? If God is going to work on a Tuesday, imagine what He could do with a Friday. Even a Sunday morning. I see changes happening. I see some of you starting to make changes in your schedules for the sake of people's lives. I know some of you are beginning to learn that whole sacrificial giving thing. Because some of you, I heard a guy say last week, you you realize that your giving, your discipleship, following Jesus thing, they hadn't gone together. And maybe for the first time in your life, you begin to go, oh, following Jesus means I have to do something with my wallet. And that's, you know, again, cut off my hand, just don't deal with my wallet. Right, So some of you are starting to make some really amazing decisions with your finances and how you spend your money and how you steward your money and how you give your money. And I'm seeing that happen. I see ways that we as a church are starting to admit our weaknesses and ask Jesus to help us change. I see how we're beginning to pray, uh, pray courageously for each other. I see us giving up distractions, letting go of the things that just don't matter for the sake of the people who do. We're coming to know God's purpose for us. And I am so thankful for you and for God's work in us. As we finish today, will you stand with me? We're going to close our service, this message, by singing the doxology. Because, you know, as we think about the work that God is doing in our lives, when we think of the work that God is doing in our valley, when we think of the lives that are being restored and being changed, not only does it bring God glory, but really together, the more and more people that come to understand the grace and the power and the love of Jesus, the more and more this mighty chorus of praise will be raised to God. So today we're going to sing it. And we're going to sing it not only because we believe it, Praise God to whom all blessings flow, but also because we're longing for the day that more and more voices, that more and more people, that more and more families and children and men and women experiencing the grace of Jesus can join us in this song. So will you stand and let's sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Are you ready? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
in the grace of God this Thanksgiving weekend. And may each one of us, as we celebrate this weekend, remember what matters most and celebrate the grace and the goodness of God in our lives. God bless you. Hope you can stay for coffee.